Sometimes I land under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. Welcome back, folks. Happy well, Tuesday, and it's time for the Torah Teachers Roundtable Tanakh edition, where we talk about those other books that are part of the, uh, well, what uh, I don't like the term, but uh, the so-called Old Testament. The reason I don't like it is because the implication, therefore, is that it's done away with and doesn't matter. We will contend that it does matter a lot, and we're seeing that, and that's part of why we do this study. So uh, what we're doing of late, of course, is talking about some of those prophecies that also matter. And as we noted last week, some of them have not yet taken effect. Uh, or at least uh, they're sitting out there, and we are watching for them. As Ray pointed out, uh, there's kind of a, a time indicator here, and when we do see them, they're uh, one of those things that will indicate to us, wow, just how close we are to the rest of what we're watching to play out beginning to happen. Okay, so with that, I will uh, I'll say good afternoon to uh, my co-host here. Got uh, Mark Patron online. Uh, howdy, Mark, and then we'll go to Ray. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Mark and Ray. Um, yeah, we're... Uh... Let's go ahead and get going here, huh? Okay, well, we will say hi, Ray. How are you doing? Well, with that, I'll say good afternoon, gentlemen. Didn't catch that, Ray. I said with that, I will say say good afternoon, gentlemen. Okay. Gentlemen. Oh, that explains why I didn't get it. Well, let's right. continue with the um, let's continue with the reading. We had some discussion about where we wanted to start. We actually read through about verse seven, but MP is uh, wanting to pick up a little bit earlier that. So ultimately, we'll just start with the beginning. I'll abbreviate it. I won't read it all, but. Now, the burden against Damascus is how this begins, and uh, this, of course, is the key in the entire chapter that follows. Behold, Damascus will cease. From a city. In other words, it won't be a city anymore. Instead, he says it'll be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aurora forsaken. Uh, they'll be for flocks which lie down. No one will make them afraid. The fortress also will cease from Ephraim, the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria. They will be as the glory of the children of uh, the children of Israel, says Yahuwah Zevot. And in that day, says verse 4, it'll come to pass that the glory of Yaakov will wane. And the fatness of his flesh grow lean. Notice it's a reference to Yaakov. Then it says it'll be as when the harvester gathers the grain and uh, heaps the heads with his arm. It'll be as he who gathers heads of grain in the valley of Rephaim. Yet gleaming, gleaming grapes will be left for it like the shaking of an olive tree. Two or three olives at the um, top of the uppermost bough. Four or five at its most fruitful branches, says Yehua Zevuot. So it doesn't sound like the harvest is going to be real great here in terms of edible things. And in that day, a man will be um, will have will look for his maker or look to his maker, and his eyes will have respect for the Holy One of Israel. He will not look to the altars, the work of his hands. He will not respect what his fingers have made, nor the wooden images, nor the incense altar. In that day, it says um, the strong cities will be left as a forsaken bow. 
and an uppermost branch. There, there's a, another reference, it sounds like, to the olive tree, which they left because of the Benai Israel, the children of Israel, and there will be desolation. Now, let me read one more verse because, before we go to MP, because I'm con- contend this is where we start to see the connection here. Because, he says, you have forgotten Yahuwah, the Elohim of your salvation, and have not been mindful of the rock of your stronghold. Therefore, you'll, uh, this is kind of funny, you'll plant pleasant plants and set out forward seedlings, and the day you make that plant to go in the morning, you'll make your seed to flourish, but the harvest, not so great. A heap of ruins in the day of grief and uh, desperate sorrow. So uh, it ends with a kind of a negative implication of uh, lots of uh, effort for not a whole lot of reward. All right, MP, take us where you would like in that. I would love to. Uh, now, we uh, we commented a little bit on this last week, so I'd just like to go back and recap the last couple of verses that I commented on because they were at the end of the, pretty much at the end of the uh, show. So anyway, uh, I'm going to start commenting on verse 4. Um, verses 4 through 6 prophesy how the glory of the house of Jacob would become lowly with the exile of the ten tribes. Just as the reaper picks all the best, so Sennacherib would exile all of them at one time, gleaning and capturing anyone trying to escape. Verse 5 specifies that this reaper harvests in Emek Rephaim, that is the Valley of the Giants, which is immediately south of Jerusalem, emphasizing that Sennacherib's <coughs> armies would overrun all of Judah, and only Jerusalem itself would hold out against this siege. As a result, only a few remaining impoverished berries would be left. These allude to King Hezekiah and the loyal Tzadikim besieged in Jerusalem. That according to Rashi on verse 6. Now, Yah is going to, this is me talking now, Yah is going to bring some judgment against Israel due to their backsliding. The glory of Jacob shall be made thin and the fatness of his flesh shall be made lean. This doesn't mean that they won't be able to defend themselves. It says they will work hard enough to burn off a lot of fat that has found its way around their midsections as it were. In other words, they started looking like uh, meat. So, in verse 5, the reaper goes out to reap the corn, probably barley, but perhaps maize as well. It's a possibility that it's what we think of as corn. And they will be like the ears of corn that were planted by the Rephaim, the giants. The Rephaim's corn was huge with a capital U. Okay, but Stone's Tanakh has a good comment on that. Israel will be as uninhabited as a field that has been harvested and then gleaned by the poor. The valley of Rephaim was near Jerusalem, thus Sennacherib's butchery would extend up to Jerusalem, that also according to Rashi. I like that guy. He's uh, he's really sharp. Anyway, the same will be true of all the other crops designed by and for the Rephaim. The valley of Rephaim may have been a valley where some natural phenomenon caused uh, its produce to cure men's ailments or quicken recovery times for a wound or a sickness. When we were studying the temple, in the last chapters of Yechezkel. We spent a lot of time on the offerings and rituals done in the Holy of Holies and on the altar. 
as they had done in the Mishkan during the wilderness adventure under Moshe's leadership and Yah's power. Now, I think those types of things will be commonplace in the future temple. Then in verse 6, it looks like while gleaning grapes and shaking olive trees, there will be some that are just not ready to let go and drop to the earth to be gathered. These might drop to the earth after the harvest is complete, falling on the ground to take root and produce a new sapling or two uh, to perpetuate the species in the area. I can imagine a, a priest departing the temple precincts and notice a new spring uh, sapling rather breaking through the surface and sprouting a leaf, an olive leaf. That priest might isolate that sapling to allow it to reach a stage when it can be transplanted, or perhaps to leave it in place as Yah had positioned it. Yah may have put it in the place for a, and in that place rather, for a specific reason known only to him, until such time as the person or people for whom it was placed would happen by. Yah has done wilder stuff to grab a man's attention and move on him to deliver his people. Okay, that's what I got on verses 4 through 6, and uh, you guys can uh, can jump in if you'd like. Okay, Ray, well, I know we've talked about some of those verses. Do you have anything else you want to add uh, uh, in addition here now, or should we continue? Uh, n- not 4, th- uh, four through 6. Uh, I might make a comment or two on seven, eight, nine. Go ahead. Go for it, man. Uh, uh, j- just a couple of observations briefly. Uh, I think seven through nine, the, the focus changes uh, of, of what's happening here. And again, as is typified in, in this book, the, uh, Isaiah will, will paint a picture of what's going to happen. And in the midst of it, he shifts and says, but there's going to, but the people are going to be restored or there is good news in this, or this is what God's going to do for his people. And in this section, uh, 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 here that follows. Again, we shift gears and it's like now we're looking 180 the other way. So in 17.7, it says in that day, man, Adam, Adam, I read that to mean mankind. I think this is a broader look than just the folks that are in Eretz Israel. I agree. Yeah. Uh, the, the mankind will, uh, will look to his maker and his eyes will look to the Holy One of Israel. I think God gets the whole world's attention when damascus ceases to be a city the whole world the focus is going to they're going to look to god and go oh my gosh what's going on and in verse 8 it says he will not look he meaning mankind will not look to to his altars or to his the works of his hands he will not look what his own fingers have made or the ashram of course the uh the sacred groves and and uh so on and so forth uh, altars of incense, uh, and uh, in that day, their strong cities will be deserted places, and so on. In, in essence, in essence, th- th- this is what they're this is what they're going to do. They're not going to turn to their own um, religiosity, if I can use that, or or that sort of thing. I think it's one of those moments when when it's it's like, oh my goodness, this this is real. He, Yah really has people's attention at yeah. this point. We all know uh, uh, what, what's going on, and uh, I guess it's uh, it's actually in verse ten that I want to 
see another comment here that really grabbed me. Um, it says, for you have forgotten the, the God of salvation, have not remembered the rock that's sewer of your refuge. Um, I remind you that in uh, uh, Moses's uh, uh, farewell song, the song of Moses in chapter 32 in Deuteronomy, he, 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 he sings eloquently about the end days of the end times and what's going to go on. And, and he basically gives the entire history of, of the people of Israel in one song and, and, um, and commands them to memorize this song. So they will be able to see it. They will be able to sing it and know. And he makes copious references within chapter 32 of the rock. Exactly. Sur. And in fact, in, uh, let's see, 3218, it says you were, you were unmindful of the rock that bore you and you forgot the God who gave you birth. That's Deuteronomy 3218. I think everyone in Isaiah's day that heard this word out of his mouth would have known exactly what the reference back was all about. Uh, and, and would have reminded them, oh yeah, this, this, Moses told us about this. Moses said in the end times, these things were going to happen. And so this is pretty serious. Maybe I, maybe I better take this seriously. So that's just a couple of, couple of uh, quick drive-bys on that. No, I agree completely. I think those are excellent observations, Ray, because that is, I suspect, matter of fact, it's even capitalized in the New King James here, and uh, I think that's the reason why, because of that reference. I'm looking in the margin, and it doesn't point back to Deuteronomy and the second song of Moses, but um, you're, I think you're absolutely right, and that uh, the people who were listening to this and saw it then, uh, but didn't see it play out, would have nevertheless recognized, more so than those today, uh, what it meant. Yeah. All right. MP, you got anything else you want to add? Okay. We're ready to read on. Yeah. We can. Uh, well, you don't want to read on yet because I've only gone through verse six. Well, <laughs> well, then I guess you need to comment on seven. <laughs> I need to comment on seven and eight. Yeah. Okay. So here's a genre on verses seven and eight. Uh, on that day, shall a man look to his maker. That's in verse seven. The effect of Sennacherib's siege on Jerusalem would be to bring the Tzadikim inside the city to a level of complete teshuvah, repentance, to the point where they would give up all forms of idolatry in verse 8. Now, that's interesting. Why were the Tzadikim uh, doing idol worship? That doesn't make any sense. They wouldn't beat Tzadikim then. <clears throat> anyway, would that it were so today. Not then. This is me talking now. Not only in uh, in respect to me, or rather the first half of the verse, but also to the second half. And his eyes have respect to the Holy One of Israel. The Hebrew root word, or uh, the Hebrew root of the word respect is H7200. It is ra'ah, to look, to see and understand. Yah will then give us the ability to see understand, and know him. This will be, I think, a gradual awakening to his fullness, which would, again, I think, grow at our personal ability to grasp it all. If he were to just spring the fullness of himself on us, we might just go mad. Of course, I'm seeing this in my limited capacity. Perhaps the physical, spiritual ability 
to understand his fullness will not be too much for us after his enabling. I can just imagine. I don't have the spiritual or physical ability to know him fully in this fallen flesh pot that I'm in. But I will, <laughs> and so will you all. Okay? Verse 8. <laughs> in verse 8, Yah is still talking about us as the man who in verse 7 was transformed by Yah's power, not his own, the, not the man's own. He will not look to the stuff that we made with our fallen hands, as close to the pattern as we were able, in the same way as Yah will. Okay, he will see that we actually did make them as close to the pattern that he gave us as we could. But in verse 8, we will then see how imperfect, how flawed our workmanship was, and that Yah looks at it, in the same way that mom looks at her toddling child's first gift of art to her. My lovely bride framed each of our kids' first art gifts to her and hung them in the living room wall for all visitors to see. And the kids would see them too. Okay? Guess what our kids did when our grandkids gave them their first work of art? It's exactly the same thing. <laughs> Yah is good. Okay, he is good, and he he wants us to pass on the goodness that we've gotten from him to our kids and their kids. That's what we're here for. That's what I got through verse eight. That, that's fascinating. I just uh, the personal aside. You know, it's funny you mentioned that about the artwork. I know that uh, uh, my coming home the first day from kindergarten, we were to. Draw two two pictures of of what our household was like, and I remember that my mom uh, kept those, and uh, uh, she didn't hang them up in the living room. Uh, uh, telling a little story on myself, you'll probably laugh, but uh, anyway. So uh, this is my mom showing me years later. I'm probably a teenager at this point, and we were going through baby stuff and and all of that, and, and I looked at these things and I said, "What's this, mom?" And she goes, "Oh, those are your first two pictures in kindergarten." She said, yeah. She said, I, I'm not so sure about those. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, you see at the bottom here, I, I wrote what you told me each of these drawings were. She said on one side, it said a man jumping over a mouse hole. And on the other side, it said a loaf of bread with flies on it. She said, I can't imagine what your teacher thinks the house is like that you live in. <laughs> and I have utterly no explanation as to why I chose those things. <laughs> I suspect to draw, you but I still enough. have them it's here somewhere, and I and I just have to giggle every time. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, kids say do the darndest things, don't they? Uh oh, you just uh, did it yourself. Uh, Art link yeah. letter. <laughs> All right, we're we're going to have to explain to some of the listeners who who uh, Art Linkletter was, Ray. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you have to be of a certain age to understand who Art Linkletter was, but uh, but anyway, well that's that that you all that's your homework assignment. Go to YouTube, you can find him. <laughs> okay, but oh, yeah, Art was one of the most popular people on television back in the uh, mid early to mid sixties. Yeah, yeah. I can barely remember him, you know, because you know I was born in the in the mid fifties. So, but I'm slightly older than you. <laughs> but uh, 
I think we probably ended uh, about uh, 11 or so. But interestingly, also, again, on the uh, the, the, just the, the, the commenting of the, you know, you've forgotten your, I'm, I'm in back in verse 10. You've forgotten the God of your salvation and this and that. And therefore, you plant pleasant plants and this and that. In other words, you've forgotten all about who it is that brings the harvest forth. And so despite all this other stuff going on and all the blunders you made, you're going to go out and you're going to plant plants and this and that and the other thing. And then you're going to go, golly, why don't they come to harvest? You know, not, not, not figuring out, you know, what's going on. Uh, and, and it says yet, and, and yet the, the harvest will flee away. And in that day, uh, there will be grief and incurable pain. So it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, well, yeah, you're starting to get it, but you're, 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 you're still out doing the same old things that you did before expecting a different result. Right. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, me, we are uh, we're out of place, MP. I'm ready to read on unless you want to continue with uh, what you hadn't uh, gotten through your notes yet. Go ahead, MP. I think you had some more, right? You're talking to me? Yeah. Yeah, I got some on 9 through 11 if you'd like. Yeah, go ahead. Why don't you go for it? Okay, so here we go. In verses 9 through 11, uh, they begin with the phrase, in that day. Now, I generally take in that day to mean in the last days, probably of this age. I think that the antecedent to the pronoun, his, is referring to the same he that we discussed up there in the last paragraph, who is ultimately anti-Mashiach, probably the anti-Mashiach. There are and will always be people who, who can meet his requirements. There have to be, because Hasatan can't foresee the future. Okay, now, his strong cities, and by the way, if Sleepy Joe suddenly becomes Woke Joe, and he begins to handle reporters' questions with ease, that will be the clue. <laughs> Wait a minute. MP, that Joe? happens now sometimes. They just really, they're really careful about which body double they allow in which positions, and occasionally it's obvious, though. <laughs> oh, you're absolutely correct. In my opinion, there's not a chance when the, when the air conditioning is revealed, I'm sorry, the Antichrist is revealed, <laughs> AC, <laughs> Ex, expect to be picked up by the thought police and executed. That's what I've got to tell you all. When, when he shows himself, expect to be picked up. So anyway, his strong cities, um, basically fortresses, shall be desolated. Here's a Zamra on that, verses 9 through 11. Um, 9 depicts the devastation of the land of Israel after the exile of the ten tribes, followed by Sennacherib's uh, invasion of Yehuda while verse 10 explains the sin of forgetting Yah that caused this to happen. Yeah. Verses 10 and then verse 11 speak of the strange kinds that will grow when the people would plant. When the people would plant. This alludes to the way that Israel in exile would intermingle and intermarry with the many other nations and produce mixed stock, not like the pure bread Yah intended. Okay? So, what does a forsaken bow look like? The word forsaken is the Hebrew root 5800, Azai, 
Azov rather, to leave or to disengage. That sounds to me like a once well-pruned fruit tree has fallen into disarray and its produce has become pithy and tough to eat. All those forsaken boughs are just sucking the life out of the tree and giving none of what puny, tough fruit its flowers may produce. It becomes, basically, a fruitless endeavor. That's what I got through verse 11. All right. I'll, I'll ask. Whoops, wait a second. The timing is pretty good. We're at the break, so we will read on after the bottom of the area. And I pray, don't take me soon, because I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know someday. Welcome back, folks. This is the Torah Teachers Roundtable Tanakh Edition, and we are um, about finished with Chapter 17. And uh, I'll ask Mark, was he ready at the bottom of the hour break, uh, or did he get cut off? I think the answer is we're ready to read on. Is that correct, Mark? Um, yeah, we can we can uh, read through the rest of the chapter, yeah. Okay, let's do that, and then we will uh, then we'll see where um, where it takes us because it's um, well. Let's just let's just continue. There's this theme here of planting and um, maybe not reaping, and that's that's a bit different, if you know, from what uh, most of Scripture refers to. So in the morning it says, uh, in that day you'll make your plant grow. In the morning you'll make you'll make your seed to flourish, but the harvest not so good. A heap of ruins in the day of grief and desperate sorrow. So he says, woe to the multitude of many people who make a noise like a roar of the seas, and to the rushing of nations that make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters. The nations, the goyim, there I'm pretty sure that's the word in the Hebrew, will rush like the rushing of many waters, but Elohim will rebuke them, and they'll flee far away and be chased like the chaff of the mountains before the wind, like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. Then behold, at eventide, trouble. Now, this is an interesting way to conclude the, uh, well, the chapter. The breaks are arbitrary, of course, but at least I can see why this thought is one that would uh, and should kind of resonate with us today. So, um, behold, at eventide, we got trouble, he says. Not in River City, but right here where we're talking about in the land. Behold, and before the morning... (laughs) Uh, he is no more. 
Doesn't sound so good. This is the portion, it says, of those who plunder us and the lot of those who rob us. And I'm tempted to say uh, that is a uh, kind of a condition that we see today and a warning. But on the other hand, I guess if we step back and look at it, this has been a continuing condition throughout most of uh, of humanity's existence. So uh, it's um, it's not anything that we haven't seen uh, cycle after cycle before. All right, Ray, let's go to you and let you kind of think, uh, uh, take us where you'd like to on this. Okay, well, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, a few general thoughts. I'm, I'm good at, at general thoughts. Uh, in uh, 1712, I find it interesting, the, uh, in, I, I'm looking at the ESV, and it says, Ah, the thunder of many peoples, they thunder like the thundering uh, of the seal. Uh, thunder, that, the uh, uh, Hebrew word there is Haman, Hamon. Very interesting. Those of you that know the book of Esther know who the character Haman is. Right. And, of course, what his uh, his aim was, him being an Agagite uh, uh, or an Amorite uh, and all of that. And uh, so so that kind of that jumped off at me when I saw that. Uh, it talks about the, na- the nations roaring like like mighty waters. I'm reminded um, there uh, when it's talking about mighty waters of Ezekiel in 43. In Ezekiel, it says, And behold, the glory of the Lord of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. So I think we're, we're starting, I, I, I'm getting a whole bunch of different pictures of stuff uh Uh, coming from a bunch of different sources. Again, in 13, we continue on. The nations, again, we're talking about that they are, they are witnessing Damascus, the, the, uh, destruction of Damascus. And they're witnessing this event. And it says the nations there. And, uh, I have in the Hebrew there, Mark, you mentioned you thought that was maybe Goim. The Hebrew there I have is Leom, which is, uh, people or nations. So okay, it's not not Goyim, and I don't know. Let's see. That's uh, what is that? Forty two eleven or or thirty eight sixteen. Uh, that's a different word than I know. Uh, it but, is. Uh, again, yeah. the roaring of of many waters and 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 all the the visions I get. You know, chased like chaff from the mountains uh, before the winds. You know the 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 thing, and I think most of our listeners know that the. Uh, that the threshing floors uh, in in uh, in the time in, in that culture, and in fact, they still do it that way uh, in the world today. That if you have gr- a grain to thresh, threshing floors are typically on the top of hillsides because they will they will drag their grain up there and thresh it, and then throw the grain and the chaff into the air. And being on the top of the hill, the wind comes up the side of the hill and then blows the chaff away. Exactly. And and uh, that's why we find. Uh, the threshing floor of Aruna, I think, was where uh, the Temple Mount was purchased by David, and, and there are different places that those are up on the on the the top places. But this picture of of the uh, um, uh, that the nations will be the Lord will rebuke them, and they will be like chaff that that he just he just with one snort of his nostril just blows them out of the way. The other thing that I find fascinating, and this is. Uh, something I looked at years and years and years ago because I was trying to understand what it was that uh, Ezekiel saw in that great vision of of the wheels and and, and all of that. 
Um, Maybe not UFOs. When it talks about yeah. – uh, and the – pardon me? Didn't I say get not that. UFOs necessarily. Uh, the – no, I, I, well, I don't know. It depends on what you, you can call anything, anything. But, yeah, never mind. Go uh, ahead. In, in, in the end of uh, 13, it talks about the whirling, about whirling dust. And uh, the Hebrew word there is galgal. And, uh, that you, it would be a good, a fair translation to say, and the, and the whirling wheels or the whirlwind wheels before a storm. Same exact words that are used in the, first chapter of Ezekiel describing these these things and interestingly Galgal is is wheels in this and Galgal I think if I'm correct I may have the the vowel pointings wrong but the the uh the the there's a word for a, a young uh a heifer like a like a, a cherub or, or a young uh a call, say, like a calf, right. yeah, similar. That they, they 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 call it by the same. Pardon me. Uh, yeah, Egal is the name I'm remembering they, now for they, the. Egal. Yes, uh, thank you, thank you. You're yes, you're exactly right. That that again, there's this wordplay that's going on, like a calf, kind of chasing its own tail and skipping around and uh, this and that, which I find fascinating as well, because of course those within those wheels were cherubs, cherubs, which had. The, the the feet of calves and the, you know and so on and so forth. So again, I, I just get this this uh, th- there is a lot of Ezekiel's vision that seems present here as well. Now, right. exactly what to make of it, I I don't know what to tell you. But those things uh, really jump out, and, uh, and <laughs> so yeah, in a well, general sense, that that those are the things that really jumped off the page at me. To, to, to kind of echo that, Ray, I guess when, when we see prophets that use similar imagery, and, and if I remember, maybe it was Egla Arufa is the red heifer, but um, the um, the theme there yeah. is is kind of a fascinating one. I think we've touched on this before. Uh, it's not surprising that uh, a lot of times in prophecy we'll see a second witness. In other words, that a, uh, a prophet will see something and describe with almost the same wording uh, what it is that he's seeing, and it's probable, in other words, that he's a second witness for the same vision. So uh, maybe that shouldn't surprise us at all. Yeah, yeah. All right. MP, you got anything you want to add, or should we continue on to the next chapter? Um, let me uh, let me cover my notes for the rest of this chapter. I started verse twelve here. <clears throat> it starts a a new and the final, by the way, section continuing on from the previous section by foretelling the miraculous destruction of Sennacherib's armies that would take place in one night. Woe to the multitude of many peoples! It says in verse 20, verse twelve. On this, Rashi makes a very important comment. An attitude, and this is it, quote, an attitude that runs through all the generations is that the whip with which Israel are beaten ends up being beaten itself. And therefore, when the prophets prophesy the punishment of Israel at the hands of the nations, they immediately afterwards prophesy the punishment of the nation used to punish Israel. That according to Rashi on verse 12. Mm-hmm. Now, Azamra has this comment on verse 12. Woe to the multitude of many people who make a noise like the noise of the seas. Now the Midrash Tanchuma comments, Israel 
are compared to the sand. As it says, the number of the children of Israel will be as the sand of the sea in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 1. While the nations are compared to the sea, as it says in our present verse. The nations are count, uh, take counsel against Israel, but Yah weakens their might. It is the case of the sea. The first wave says, Now I will rise up and flood the whole world. But when it reaches the sand, it bends and is broken. Yet the second wave does not learn from the first. Paro rose up against Israel, but Yah cast him down, just as he then cast down Amalek, Sihon, Og, Bilaam, and Balak. But not one of them learned from the previous one. Okay? They didn't watch the history of Israel and how everybody that came against them got wiped out. Okay? Because if they had, they wouldn't have come against them again. Okay? Hamas is learning that same lesson even as we speak. Okay? (laughs) Now, the the word that the KJV translates woe is H1945, and it actually is hoi. Okay? (laughs) Hey, vav, yud. Alas, or woe to the multitude. That is H1995, chamon, a noisy tumult that sounds like rough weather on a seashore during the storm. If you've ever been near the ocean during a major storm, you understand. If you've ever been aboard a ship with your bunk next to the hull at waterline, you know experientially what it is to sleep like a baby. I've done (laughs) both, and on the same cruise. (laughs) But, But I also knew that as long as we did not strike something really hard at sea, which is kind of hard to do, or <laughs> fly with, into a flock of fowl. I'm sorry, what? I was just laughing because I'm thinking, that's why they have watches, MP, so that that becomes uh, not as easy to do as it might be otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Let me, let me start at the beginning of the sentence again. But I also knew that as long as we did not strike something really hard at sea or fly into a flock of fowl in the helicopter, we were very, very safe. Our passage is about being invaded by an army that's hungry, cold, and other stuff. If we don't have a readily available staff, spear, or sword, an attacker will have, will have his way with you and your women folk. Okay? Rush like the rushings of the of many waters in verse 13 is not generally what you would call a good situation, unless you have Yah on your side in that situation. When he, what he which he does, by the way, seem to be in verse in chapter 17. I think that what Yah does in verse chapter verse 13 rather of chapter 17 is direct the weather and the water in the form of a tornado. NEM, NEM, uh, at Syria, that is Damashek, who has the last name named enemy, was the last named enemy of Israel. It was a whirlwind, a tornado that Yah described. He, Yah, is the one that is doing all the fighting for Israel in this passage. And I think he is putting the fear of Yah into Amalek. In, uh, let's see, 
Rashi has this on verse 14. And behold, in the evening trouble, and before the morning they are no more. That's Rashi's translation to verse 14. Here Isaiah prophesies the miraculous destruction of all Sennacherib's armies in one night by the angel. Paradigm of the, de of the destined destruction of the armies of Gog, Umagog, at the end of days. This is the portion of them that spoil us, in verse 14. One portion was received by Sennacherib, and another portion will be received by Gog, Umagog, when they come to plunder us. That according to Rashi, and I think that that is what we're seeing going on right now in Israel today. It started on October 7th, and I think we're seeing Gog and Magog going on right this minute. This is the beginnings of it, I think. I could be wrong, but I doubt it. That's what I got for the rest of this chapter. Okay. I have a question for you, MP, uh, if, if you don't mind me breaking in. Back to uh, uh, 1712, and this is just to decide, uh, uh, we have Hevav uh, Yod. Uh, Hoy, is that is that the genesis of the, or, or is it the Yiddish that we know as Oy? Oy vey? Oy? I do Oy? believe so. Is this the same word? I do believe so. I wondered about that. Uh, interesting. I, I hadn't I hadn't actually ever picked it up in the actual Hebrew that way. I thought it was just kind of a, a euphemism. I didn't realize that. That's that's interesting. Oy. Cool. Cool. Very cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great word. And I've learned something today. <laughs> that's 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 good. All right. Oi. Oi. <laughs> Are we? Uh, right. Yeah, oi, wait, even. Uh, I got on 17. Okay. If, you're, if we're set, then we will continue on into 18. I'll read. we got about five minutes till we get to the top of the hour break here. Um, woe, it says, to the land shattered with buzzing wings. So the mind boggles with the idea of buzzing wings and how many references we see to things that fly and they look like either insects or locusts or helicopters or uh, you name it. But uh, anyway, shadowed by buzzing wings, which is beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, which sends ambassadors by sea, even in vessels of reed on the waters. And they say the following, go swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth. And the uh, the words added here in the uh, in the King James and some of the other English Bibles are smooth of skin. So uh, anyway, just nations tall and smooth is how it actually is rendered to a people terrible from their yeah. beginning onward. A nation powerful and treading down whose land the rivers divide. Now, I want to pause because as I read this normally and I think about it, well, you know, uh, we, we maybe have a tendency to do this. We'll say, that sounds like the place where I'm at. Certainly, it does sound like it could be a reference to the United States, a nation terrible from the beginning onward. Well, maybe not that part, but uh, <laughs> some that are teaching crap in schools would say that that's the case. Uh, and uh, certainly the land who the rivers divide, well, that's true, but it's arguably true of a bunch of places. So, uh, on with the text here. All inhabitants of the world and dwellers on the earth, when he lifts up a banner on the mountains, you see it. And when he blows a shofar, you hear. For thus, it says, Yahuwah said to me, I'll take my rest, and I will look from my dwelling place uh, like clear heat and sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the bud is perfect and the sour grape is ripening in the flower, 
He will cut off both the sprigs with pruning hooks and take away and cut down the branches. They'll be left together for the mountain birds of prey and for the beasts of the earth. The birds of prey will summer on them and all the beasts of the earth will winter on them. So again, a lot of agricultural metaphors. The late Brad Scott used to point out that uh, that's the nature of Hebrew. It's a very uh, excellent language for describing things that we can see in our bodies, you know, body parts and things that grow on the earth and things that, in other words, are, are very much what we observe in the physical world around us. And um, so the metaphor here seems to be something which is both at the same time um, – uh, well, I would say it's a little bit ambiguous, maybe, because he says, I'm going to take my rest, and there's going to be some pruning going on. There's a harvest coming, but it doesn't sound like the harvest is exactly something that people are going to enjoy. All right. Uh, we'll go to you first, MP, this time around. All right. Let me cover verse 1. This will take a few minutes here. TSK has this opening comment by an 18th century theologian named uh, Bishop Loth on the word woe. He says that he renders uh, after Bochart, whom I don't have any idea who it is, ho to the land of the winged symbol, which he thinks is a periphrasis. This is a word that I never saw before, and I had to look it up, and I'm going to share it with you. The definition is the use of direct and circumlocutory speech. In other words, you're talking around it uh, or writing. Uh, using many words when fewer will do quite nicely. <laughs> the way well, I obfuscation is the word I would <laughs> so, use in that oh, place. Yeah, we do that stuff all the time. Yeah, <laughs> obfuscation to make the to make the yeah, clear yeah, obtuse. Right. Anyway, to try yeah. to hide. Yeah, yeah. A periphrasis. That's really an interesting word. And I mean, the it, peri meaning around and phrase. I mean, it's it, it makes sense. Okay, so how about around Bishop and push? <laughs> okay, Bishop Loth thinks it's a paraphrasis for the Egyptian sistrum. Another one, got to look that one up too. That means a musical instrument of ancient Egypt consisting of a metal frame with transverse metal rods that rattled when the instrument was shaken. The idea—it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a, a cymbal. Okay, is is what it sounds like to me. Not a symbol, but a, a tambourine. Okay, that kind of mm, thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you shake Perhaps. it, and it makes a noise. Anyway, now, uh, where was I? Here we go. Um, and consequently, uh, the, uh, uh, yeah, paraphrasis for the uh, Egyptian sistrum, and consequently that Egypt, which borders on the rivers of Cush, is a country to which the prophecy is addressed. If we translate shadowing with wings, it may allude to the multitude of its vessels whose sails may be represented under the nation notion rather of wings. And we got a minute or two yet left here, so here's what Azamra has to say on about verse one. Um, a land of buzzing wings that fly around the rivers of Cush, verse one. Radak uh, comments after uh, Ad Lok, it says there, and uh, that has a thing, the same reference was just referred to as what we said. Um, anyway, um, Radak comments, after having prophesied the salvation that was to occur in the days of Hezekiah, Isaiah follows it immediately with a great salvation that is destined to come about in the days of Mashiach. 
This is the overthrow of the forces of Gog Umagog, and that's what we're, I, I swear to you, I believe that's what we're seeing happening right now is the beginnings of Gog Umagog, and it's going to bring in the Mashiach, I'm sure of it. Once again, the overthrow of Sennacherib is compared to the overthrow of Gog Umagog, just as the overthrow of Sennacherib actually took place, so will that of Gog U Magog, okay, Gog and Magog. Many people, or, okay, many people will uh, take the phrase "beyond the rivers of Kush" to refer to Africa. Kush is usually taken to refer uh, specifically to Ethiopia. However, Targum Yonasan renders Kush as Hodu, believe it or not, Hodu, who, hmm. uh, um, uh, what do you call it, Hindu is what I believe they get, because they say that Hodu is India, which is it's a famous song, too, that has the word Hodu in it, right? Uh, Ray probably remembers it. It's a it's famous uh, Hebrew yeah, song. Hodu Adonai Kisak, yeah. Yeah. The Kitov. Hodu uh, uh, Adonai Kitov. Ki. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that takes us to the break with the music, so we'll, uh, we'll pick it up when we get back. And I pray, don't take me soon. Cause I am here for reasons Sometimes in my tears I drown But I never let it get me down So when negativity surrounds I know someday Sometimes I live under the moon. Welcome to the Torah Teachers Roundtable, Apostolic Edition, with your hosts Rob Miller, Mark Patron, and yours truly, Mark Call. We hope you'll find this discussion entertaining, thought-provoking, and that above all, you'll be like the Bereans and search out the scriptures for yourself to see if these things be true. All right, welcome back, folks, to the second hour now of the Torah Teachers Roundtable to Knock Edition. And uh, we are talking about the the book of uh, the prophet Yeshayahu, or Isaiah. And uh, chapter 18 is where we found ourselves at the top of the hour. Uh, Sounds like MP had something he wanted to continue with before we move on. So go ahead, Mark. All right, all right, here we go. Um, See, I was uh, cut off right here. Okay, once again, the overthrow of Sennacherib is compared to the overthrow of Gog and Magog. Just as the overthrow of Sennacherib actually took place, so will that of Gog and Magog. Now, many people take the phrase, beyond the rivers of Cush, to refer to Africa. Cush is usually taken to refer specifically to Ethiopia. However, Targum Yonasan renders Cush as Hodu, India which is in agreement with one option of the uh, Talmud, the uh, Megillah uh, 11a, commenting on Esther 1.1, and would also be in agreement with those today who point to the energetic, seafaring, and colonizing activities 
of the ancient Ethiopians along the Arabian and Indian coastlines to see African ancestry in important peoples in the Indian subcontinent. If the forces of Gog Umagog are to come from beyond the rivers of India, could this refer to China? The buzzing wings in verse 1 are interpreted by uh, Targum as referring to the sails of the ships in which the hordes of Gog Umagog will travel, swifter than eagles. These are the light papyrus vessels mentioned in verse 2. Could seemingly allude to aircraft or even missiles? That's a possibility, especially since we're entering the, I believe, entering the end of days. The last sentence, ending in verse 3, count them, 3, ends in three question marks, tells me that this particular prophecy has never been fulfilled to Azamra's satisfaction and must then be yet future to us. And I believe that's absolutely the truth. Gog and Magog has never happened. It will in the end of days. And I truly believe that we're getting very, very close to it. That's what I got for verse 1. Okay. Uh, Ray, before we continue, I'll let you pick it up. But uh, as we went to break, you mentioned the song there. And uh, I'm just curious, did you have any comments on that? Because uh, uh, that was the first thing I thought of as well. And I know you recognized it. I, I, I don't know the exact. Uh, I think it means give thanks to the Lord. Yeah. Hodu meaning it, being part of the, the verb to give. Hodu uh, Adonai Kitov, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. It's just it. Uh, th- there are lots and lots of things in Hebrew, though, that are are, are uh, synonymous. You know, they they they, they sound alike. Synonyms. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and a lot and of times, that. this is so Brad Scott's thing. Kind of, if things sounded like, there again, oftentimes was a similarity that we're supposed to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Although I have at least in in, in my version, eighteen uh, one. The, the the thing that was pronounced as woe is this again is hoy. <laughs> yeah. The uh so, the Hebrew root word for hodu is hod, and it literally means praise. Okay, so, all right. Very good. Spelled how, I'm Pete. Very good. Um hey vav dalet. No, no, uh, yeah, I spelled hey, uh, the English word. Are you talking about P R E Y or P R A Y, I'm asking. P-R-A-I-S-E, praise. Oh, praise. Yeah, I'm glad I asked. The spelling is helpful. Yes, Odu is praise. That's, a, that's according to Etymological Dictionary of Biblical Hebrew. It's a really good one. Well, and that's exactly what we're talking about, essentially, with the song. A praise out of Naikito, for he is good. So, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh... As far as I can see. <laughs> so, so I, 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 uh, I I've got a, a commentary here that uh, that I'm looking at, and actually, I, I'll go ahead and muddy the waters a little more uh, on this, and 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 read. I'm going to actually read a paragraph from this. This is uh, from the book, The Prophecy of Isaiah, by Alec Motier, uh, a very fine uh, commentary, and. Uh, he, he has this to say about, uh, uh, 18, uh, and in my English Bible it says, uh, an oracle concerning Cush. And in fact, it does identify it, 
specifically as being Cush in, in the text. But l- let me read what he says and then a couple of other thoughts. So uh, I'll, I'll do my best to quote here. Uh, he says, uh, in uh, uh, the year 715, the Ethiopian ruler, Pyank He, mastered Egypt, founding the 25th dynasty and sought to play a part on the world stage. Envoys were sent to all the Palestinian states promising Egyptian aid in an anti-Assyrian rising. Isaiah mentions neither power, but looks through the situation of the day to a wider horizon, not relating historical facts, but the principles that they embody. Seen on its own terms, the world knows no security, but uh, but only collective strength. Isaiah, however, has a better message to share arising from the principles that he's already drawn from the experience of Ephraim and Arab, and that's back in chapter 17, in whose case collective strength failed. Security can be found only in Yehovah, and one day the remnant will enjoy it. This is a microcosm of the Lord's plan for the world. And then he goes on to say that, uh, makes a comment, says that the uh, the reason that uh, I bear out several of the things that MP already mentioned, that uh, the uh, that the Ethiopians were in fact known in the ancient world because of their height. They were known as a tall people with very smooth, although black or dark skin, but very beautiful dark skin and very tall. So the the descriptions uh, there of the of the tall and smooth skinned people and all of that seems to make a, a little bit of uh, uh, of sense there as well. Sounds, yeah. uh, I also have with uh, with the whoring wings. I have the Hebrew. Uh, uh, se, uh, if I can say it, Tzalatzal, which is sixty seven sixty seven, which uh, in my dictionary says locus or some some sources of crickets. And so there they're talking about locust wings or cricket wings and says that, uh, so at this point in time, what I'm gleaning from all of this is that the Ethiopians had in fact uh, subjugated the Egyptians uh, around the year 715 and were now in control of the Egyptian empire. And this Pyank He, who was their leader, uh, was really looking to make a name for himself in the ancient world and strike out. So he's trying to, at this point in time, stick his nose into the the business of what's going on in the land. And he's saying, "Hey, come on, uh, let's let's form partnerships. Let's let's do this." You know, uh, he he wants to come against the Assyrians and he wants to make a big name for for himself and and bolster his position. In Egypt, so so therefore he's sending swift messengers and 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 uh, all of that uh, up to uh, to try to affect that kind of partnership. And of course, we've seen in the previous verses that that those that are seeking to ally with 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 uh, uh, Ephraim and, and Israel and and all of that 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 uh, Isaiah is saying, no, don't make deals with these people. Do not allow uh, ally yourself with people. Your strength is in the Lord. Ally yourself with the Lord. He's the only one that can save you. Other people are not going to be able, uh, you know, to uh, to save you at all. And again, back to the kind of in four and five, when we look at these uh, agricultural 
uh, uh, metaphors. Uh, in four, it says, Yehovah says, uh, you know, I quietly look down from my dwelling like a clear heat in sunshine. And he talks about like a cloud doing this and that and the other thing. Well, you think that that's rather benign, but you have to realize that, that in the agricultural world, uh, plants need heat to, to produce plants need dew and moisture to be able to survive in all of this. And who provides those? Well, the Lord does, not people. Uh, you know, and he's the one that's going to bring the flowers out at their time. He's the one that's going to ripen the grapes in the right time. He's the one that's going to do all these things. And for any of us that have done any kind of gardening, boy, you know, <laughs> we sure know what can happen. I know here, uh, in the front range of Colorado, we have at my home, we've got a little, little small tin, tin tree fruit orchard of various kinds of trees, cherries, uh, pears, uh, plums, apples, so on, and, and all of that. And uh, I know that when we get into the days of February, for some reason here in the, along the Front Range, uh, we will typically, we're in a very cold uh, time right now in January. In fact, it's, it's in the low teens right now. Uh, in February, the temperature all of a sudden will get just balmy. And I'll go, oh, no, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it can't get this warm this quick because typically, uh, well, the almonds are the first to flower, followed by the, the pears or uh, the peaches, or, excuse me, the plums, all these pea fruits. Uh, but, uh, but it's one of those these things that, uh, you know, it will get warm for a week and a half or two and the fruit trees are tricked and they send their sap up and the, they bud and the flowers are out, and then we end up getting smacked with a 10-degree night or something like that. And one night of, of, of freeze like that we'll do kills it. an entire season of fruit. We used They're to call gone. that it's the gone. sucker In fact, I've, I've, it's gone so far as to actually kill the trees, too. Yeah. Uh, that, that if the, the trees are in that tender state, the, the, uh, a hard freeze like that will literally kill a mature free tree. So, you know, and so the, the point of all this is, hey, you guys, don't be trying to make your own deals and, and work with one another and allying yourself to the folks in Ethiopia and this and that and the other thing. I'm the one that's going to call the shots here. I'm the one that's going to, I'm the one that controls, controls things on the world stage. So. End of that. Yeah. So I, I that, that's kind of what I'm seeing happening here. And, and that's a part, you know, part of it. The, the, I love the language in this. Uh, the birds, the birds of prey of the mountains and the beasts there. Where, where was it? And the birds will pray. <laughs> let me get this right. And the birds of prey will summer on them and the beasts of the earth will winter on them. <laughs> wow. Talk about desolation. This is not just, oh, well, zap, you know, your fruit harvest is over. This is like you got a whole year of, of, of trouble in, in front of you. It's not just one little season. It's, this is extended, so that's that's some thoughts there. Very good, uh, very good stuff. All right, okay. are you ready to move on, MP? Do we need to continue? Uh, ready to continue? Right. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't quite finish chapter uh, verse one. I don't think. Let's see. Um, yeah, let me have it on the other side of the break so I can finish verse one. <laughs> well, no, we got. Uh, well, we, yeah, we got 15 minutes yet for before the break. 
So oh, you okay. can have all yeah, you I, want. I understand. I, I put that in the text before we uh, we went. Anyway, let's go ahead and start with verse. We'll go to verse two. If, verse two follows a colon. Is sure. what the idea is, and it, it's all one idea. Yeah. All one sentence in the KJV, which is kind of like a comma or a semicolon on steroids. Uh, this means that verse 2 is commenting on or explaining what verse 1 alluded to. What the KJV calls bull rushes, uh, TSK calls papyrus, or a lightweight, sturdy plant. These were not ocean-worthy vessels, but they were river-worthy. The vessels to which the KJV briefly refers are described in, uh, by TSK in verse 2, <clears throat> the Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, they call it, it is well known that the Egyptians commonly used on the Nile a light sort of ships or boats made of papyrus. So mm. it's possible that the Kushi, that is the black African people, were Egyptian enemies upriver from the main cities, regions of the land. Okay, if you remember how Miriam made a small ark out of bulrushes for Moshe, yeah. you'll have an affinity to the situation here. What were you about to say there? No, nope, just agreeing with you. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, I think that the lightweight, waterproof, and at least river-worthy vessels were going to take a fight to the Egyptians' upstream neighbors, okay? Uh, where uh, KJV was scattered and peeled, KJ, TSK's Bishop Loth suggests stretched out in length and smoothed is a better translation. Now, I think hmm. that means that the Egyptians cut the bulrushes lengthwise, stretched the tube to flat, or almost so, bound them together, and then used a binding agent to make the papyrus hull waterproof. This would hmm. not probably have been suitable for ocean voyages, but would likely suffice for a lake or river usage. Now, another unusual to us phrase used in verse 2 is meted out and trodden down, referring to a nation state to which TSK, Treasury Scripture Knowledge, gives this explanation that seems plausible to me. The H6978 Kav Kav means stalwart, derived from the H6957, ku, or ko, uh, that is kuf, vav, a, a cord usually used for measuring or fastening. Again, TSK gives a bit of insight. The phrase meted out and trodden down is an allusion to the frequent necessity of having recourse to uh, mensuration. The uh, And there's no T in that word. It's mensuration. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the theory of measurement and computation in Egypt in order to determine their boundaries. After the uh, inundation of the, of the Nile had smoothed their land and effaced their landmarks and to their method of throwing seed into the, into the mud when the waters had subsided and treading it in by uh, turning their cattle into the fields. Okay, they, they would... They would just throw the throw the seeds out, and then they'd send the cattle in, and they would mush it down under the ground, okay? Azamra has a bit more on verse 2. They say, from their prophetic perspective uh, of our future, 
and probably the not-too-distant future. Here's what Rashi, Rashi explains, that the messengers of verse 2, UN quartet envoys, maybe, are traveling to see if a nation tall and smooth, a nation awesome from their beginning onward, in other words, Israel, have really returned to their land after such a lengthy exile. This nation has suffered time and time again in their history, and now Gog, Umagog, come to attack them. That's what we're going to be seeing in the not-too-distant future, in my own personal opinion. Uh, that's what I got through verse 2. Okay. I think we're ready then. Yep. Uh, let's see. Where did I end we up? We can do three and four if you'd like. Sure. <laughs> you read on a little bit. I, I read beyond that. To, uh, to I read beyond that, Mark. Four. I read all the way up to verse 7. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I would just, I would just again, as you look at this, the plain sense of it, all you inhabitants of the world who dwell in the earth. Okay, this is what you, you I think uh, Mark, uh, your version said, uh, mine says signal. I think it was banner. Is that not correct? Um, uh, which verse? Uh, uh, verse three. Verse three, we have a trumpet, we have an ensign. Ensign, thank you, a banner, a signal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, in other words, that that uh, it's a small flag, basically. Sure, sure, sure. In other words, a signal flag and a trumpet; those are military uh, methods of communication. Uh, exactly right. But uh, but but notice that that uh, that that he says, "All you inhabitants of the world." This this is, in other words, this is one of these things that if we thought that we were just talking about the Kushites or the Egyptians or whoever you're calling them. The Egyptians under the rule of the Kush. I don't know who you know. Don't know my history well enough to comment on that. But but basically, it it, it broadens the scope to to people of the world. Look, when you hear the trumpet call, when you hear see the ensign, the signal flag, you know, then Yehovah says, "Yeah, I'm looking down from the heavens." And who do you think brings all this to pass? It's me. That's right. Yeah. So that would be my comment on three and four. You guys, Mr. Call, do you have something to add to that? Or uh, no, I'm ready. I, I, I make my comments generally in line, so I've I've kind of commented on uh, what I intended to yeah. anyway. Uh, are we ready to read on? I, on I can jump on three and four. Okay, here we go. Go ahead, Andrew. Those comments on verses three and four are, as usual, very good, and line up with verse two. It says, from verse 3, we see the entire world will be watching and witnessing this cataclysmic event, knowing full well that Israel has come home. Okay, now, here's verse 3 from the KJV. All the inhabitants of the world, the dwellers on the earth, see ye, and he lifteth up an ensign on the mountains, and when he bloweth the trumpet, hear ye. Now, remember my speculation on verses 1 and 2, that this is the ultimate, to our knowledge anyway, Gog Umagog, Hamas mm -hmm. and its uh, intelligence weaponry providers, invasion of Israel in the end of days, which we may be seeing on the nightly news in late 23 and 24. Okay? Uh, could Gog Umagog be Russia and China? 
Russia ooh China? I think it's a possibility. Now, on the uh, the nightly news thing, um, my lovely daughter-in-law in Colorado uh, has two brothers, and both had a brother-in-law and bro- three brothers-in-law, and all are members of the Israeli Defense Forces. Okay, uh, her younger brother Yochai has just been home on medical leave for a shrapnel wound in his forearm. By the way, his father is a surgeon and removed the shrapnel while he was at home on leave. I think he's <laughs> on his way back by now. In the meanwhile, the kid got wounded. They took him off the off the field. They let him go home for a leave, and he got, he got fixed up. So that's that's something. If you if you if anybody out there needs to to have a have a prayer session about the Israeli uh, thing that's going on right now with uh, with all the all the uh, uh, commie people. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> all of those, all those Hamasites. Okay, uh, please keep my uh, my uh, the the more children in M O R. Keep the more children in your prayers as well. Um, my my daughter in law is absolutely absolutely a wonderful girl. She's brought uh, my five of grandchildrens <laughs> for my wife and I. This is just wonderful. Uh, but I would I would love for her to not have to worry about her brothers and 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 their wives as well. So anyway, um, where was I? Here we go. Verse 3 says that all you inhabitants of the world, dwellers on the earth, this could never have been done even up to World War II, perhaps Korea, Vietnam. A television signal of that sophistication doesn't, didn't exist in Yeshua's days, or Yeshua's, or truly until the 1990s or 2000s. These things can be seen even in Mongolia and Siberia given some modern television receivers and computer. My wife watches some people's YouTube channels from Siberia and Mongolia. If they can upload their programs and get their YouTube channels monetized, they can make a pretty good living, even in Lower Slobovia, uh, which yep. is, refers to Al Cap's Little Abner. Um, <laughs> well, right now we're at the break, so we'll, uh, we'll be back after the bottom of the hour. Don't take me soon, cause I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown, but I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know something either lost or around
All right, uh, we are back, folks. Our last segment today of the Tour Teachers Roundtable to Knock Edition. And I gotta ask, were you finished, Mark, when we went to the uh, break? Were we ready to move on or uh, not? Not quite. I would like to take about another two minutes and then we'll be done. All right. Um, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna start back one sentence. The, uh, if they can upload their programs to get their YouTube channels monetized, they can make a pretty good living. There's people from Lower Slavovia, what I was talking about earlier. Now, the point being that our present-day technology is necessary for the Gog-Umagog War to happen. It could not have happened only 25 years ago. Ain't technology grand? Here's a Zonor's take on verse 4. They say, Verse 4 begins a new subsection of this prophecy about the war of Gog Umagog. In Isaiah 62.1, Elohim says, For the sake of Jerusalem I shall not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth like radiance and her salvation like the burning torch. But here, Elohim says, I shall be quiet and look on in my dwelling place. We may infer this can only be after Jerusalem has been saved when God's presence will again rest in the holy temple that according and then and it says see Mitzudas David on verse 4 of our present chapter and I'm not going to bother with that. I checked well I checked on Mitzudas David and he said this if one watches the wind he will it, he will never sow if one observes the clouds, he will never reap. If you're waiting for the exactly perfect conditions to plant, or having already planted, if you wait for the exactly perfect conditions to reap the harvest, neither will get done. And you and those who are counting on your produce will starve. That is the sluggard in the vineyard that we're talking about here. Now, as vinegar to the teeth, and as smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to them that send him. TSK has a good explanation of smoke to the eyes and vinegar to the teeth, which I am certain most of us have experienced to some minor extent. As the acidity of vinegar causes the unpleasantness of pain to the teeth, and by softening the dis and dissolving the alkali of the, of the bone, impairs their texture, and renders them incapable of mastication, and as smoke, by irritating the tender vessels, causes the eyes to smart, and prevents distinct vision, so a sluggish messenger is a continual vexation and loss to those for whom he works. Okay, that's what, is, what TSK has to say about this, and they are absolutely right. Vinegar to the teeth is not a lot of fun. If you have any imperfections in the gums, just as having your eyes propped open while the room fills with smoke. It's our basic torture that you can just happen upon. It, of course, the sluggard in the vineyard isn't going to be paid for his lack of work, and his reputation will get around very quickly. Okay, I'm done with my commentary through verse 4, if you'd like to move on. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Are we ready to read in that case? or Because uh, I read further than that, Mark. Uh, okay by me. 
All right, then let's let's read through the rest of the chapter. What? Are you okay with that, Ray? Okay. I'm not sure where you guys are. I'll just follow along. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, Mark's got his notes, and I uh, I know how far I've read, and so we basically have they're going to be left together for the mountain birds of prey, the beasts of the earth, and and as you've already commented on this, Ray, the uh, the birds of prey will summer in them, and the beasts of the earth will winter on them, which is uh, kind of a fascinating way to put it. And in that time, it says. A present will be brought to Yahuwah Zevod. Again, the English there is Lord of Hosts. From a people, now we've heard this before, this is the same reference, a people tall and smooth. Again, the words of skin are added in italics, but a people tall and smooth. Uh, I think there's a good case, we've already talked about it, that that might be Ethiopia, and it certainly is mentioned here. Or uh, uh, in some cases, MP seems to disagree that it might be Cush. I, I'll admit that's kind of what I thought. But um, And it says, and a people terrible from their beginning onward, a nation powerful and treading down. Again, this is the same phraseology we've heard before, whose land the rivers divide to the place of the name of Yahuwah Zevuot, the place of the name of Yahuwah Zevuot to Mount Zion. Okay, uh, Ray, let me go again to you. Just uh, my my only comment there is that uh, as I look back and I want to get, uh, uh, we begin this section in uh, eighteen three all you inhabitants of the world, that, that uh, yeah, we're talking about Cush or Ethiopia. We're talking about uh, Egypt, the Egyptians and, and, and this and that, at least in the near term and all of that. But the, but the larger view of, of this is, the, uh, is, again, the people of the earth. And, and we, we see this uh, again, again and again and again, that in the final result, um, all the people will come up to Jerusalem, uh, they will bring their gifts. They will, they will uh, come up three times a year. They will, uh, you know, this is the uh, the millennial format that's going to happen after the Gog Magog uh, war and the the tribulation and and, and, and all of that stuff. And of course, uh, uh, the 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 place where the name of Yahuwah Sebaot is, that's where he has. Lastly, placed his name, so that would be Mount Sion. That would be it, and that this is this. In essence, it's what's being said here is yes. The these people who we're talking about, and also the 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 nations that were mighty and conquering, and this and that and the other thing, and that they were feared and they were great and this and that. They they will they will bring tribute uh, up to the uh, up to the temple. So, so that's how the cow eats the cabbage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> My own agricultural metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I know that. Um, well, go ahead, Mark. I know you've got some some comments you want to make. Um. Yeah. If you would, uh, have you read through the end of the chapter yet? That is true. Yes, yes I have. Okay, in that case, Azamra has a great comment on verses 5 and 6. It says this, In lengthy comment on this verse, Radak explains that Gog Umagog will steadily gather strength with more and more nations joining them, as it says, Persia, Kush, which is Pakistan, China, and Put huh? with them. Ezekiel 38.4. 
Did you say uh, Kush was Pakistan? Uh, yeah, that's uh, news to me. Yeah. Yes, that's what that's what Azamra says. Kush is Pakistan or possibly possibly Pakistan or possibly China. Both have question marks behind them. Interesting. Okay. 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 So, and they are therefore likened to uh, developing vine fruits. But just as they are about to reach complete ripeness, when they will have invaded and exiled half of Jerusalem, as prophesied in Zechariah 14.2, Yah will miraculously strike them all down. They shall be left together to the predatory birds uh, of the mountains. That's in verse 6. This is as prophesied in Zechariah chapter 14 and verses 12 and following, and in Ezekiel chapter 39. The fallen armies of Gog Umagog will be left unburied in the hills of Jerusalem for a whole year, according to Edios 2, commenting on verse 6 of our present chapter, after which they will be brought to burial. It is my opinion, this is me talking now, it is my opinion that the Hamas-Israel war that broke out on October 7, 2023, was the beginning of the Gogumagog War that was prophesied for four or five thousand years by now. It started out as Hamas attacking Israel in a sneak Shabbat day attack. It was they actually the final the day, day of Sukkot is kind of the way I like to think of it. It was that too. Exactly. They they killed in the first day of hostilities at least fourteen hundred innocent Israeli citizens. Azamra's last comment on chapter 18 follows. Here's what I got. At that time, a gift, a shy, a gift, shall be brought to Hashem of hosts. In verse 7, the nations of the world are destined to bring a gift to King Mashiach, as it says, until Shiloh come, in Genesis 49.10. Do not read this as Shiloh, but as Shiloh a gift to him, according to Yalkut Shimoni. Now, stop Shiloh a second. has been a nickname for Mashiach for a lot of centuries. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I just wanted to make sure you clarified that. Yep, Shiloh. Uh, yeah, and, and that's that's what I got for the for the day. So... <clears throat> that, that's a, that's a, a, an interesting... Uh, an interesting point. I know that uh, in a Bible study group that I work with on Thursday evenings, we uh, we missed a week, and so this last week we kind of madly trying to put two Torah portions together and all that. Yeah. And we uh, were looking at the prophecies uh, that uh, Israel is making over his children at the end. And, of course, it's talking about uh, Judah, and it talks about... Uh, uh, in some versions, it's rendered uh, Shiloh or Shiloh. Uh, in other versions, um, I think it says tribute comes. I would have to go back. Uh, uh, if I backpedal, maybe you guys can can tread water for me, and I'll try to go back. But that's to that that really uh, that that really yeah. That really yeah. struck me. I'm 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 running back to to Genesis uh, real 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 quickly and seeing if I can find those. Uh, what is that? Forty nine? Am I remembering right? Is that Genesis forty nine? 
Yes, 49. Uh, where is it? Dan. Sorry, all of you folks out in Radio Land. Ah, yeah. So, uh, again, I'm reading out of ESV. I've got 49.10. We're in Genesis. It says, the, sh- the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And that's the word for shy there. Tribute comes to him, and to uh, him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And many of the other verses, as we were doing this, I uh, uh I, I said, I said, did anybody notice something different about that that verse? Is, does that read differently in yours? And a lot of hands went up, and they said, yeah, mine it says Shiloh or Shiloh, and, and all that. And we we all thought that meant Messiah, and you did it. And so we had just kind of a long uh, conversation about, well, yeah, it could mean that, but it could mean also a gift or tribute or or recognition and or that kind of thing. It yeah, comes up. It, so that that's it, fascinating that you bring that up, MP. Yeah. It might actually be be uh, people bringing tribute to Mashiach as he's sitting his throne. Oh, oh yeah, Ab- absolutely. Yeah, you, you betcha. Yeah. But uh, I uh, uh, up until this last week when we looked at that, I I had not uh, made that uh, made made that link. And when you just said it there, it was again. That was ding, ding, ding. Uh, as I looked at the at the Hebrew again and went, oh yeah, okay, I see that again now. So that's a fascinating. I think there's some linkage there. I'm gonna have to study that much further. That's 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 fascinating. Very, very good. Yeah, yeah, lots of fun. <laughs> we got we always got good fun. Six or seven minutes left here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm finished with uh, chapter 18. All right. Well, I mean, the question then is, uh, let's go ahead and continue into chapter 19. If you'd like, Ray, unless you have any final comments you want to make on anything that we've uh, we've tied together there. I I, I think we probably hit most of the high points. We can certainly go go on and and, uh, read uh, read some of this. Mine is titled here, an oracle concerning Egypt. So again, we're I, I'm not sure if we are talking about the historical Egypt that is now being uh, that was at that time being ruled by Cush, or we're talking about Egypt meaning a, a metaphor for for uh, you know one world one God you know that kind of thing and all that. But we can certainly read uh, read into the up to the first paragraph break and and see what we get out of it. Okay. We and you've this. got the Hebrew sitting there. That, the word, anyway. of course, that is normally translated Egypt is Mitzrayim. So that's what we're talking about, at least, is Mitzrayim in the first verse, right? Yep, that's that's what mine Absolutely. reads, Mitzrayim. Yeah. Okay, I want to just make sure that we're all on the same page. So that would be what we've thought of yeah. as this uh, this place. And, and it's kind of fascinating. I'll begin by just noting as we as we read this, um, we tend to think of it as a land, but the, the people that live there are the Mitzrayites, and uh, obviously, uh, much like uh, Israel, and um, although there's not nearly as much history in Scripture on um, Mitzrayim per, per se, certainly the Egyptologists, the scholars would say, yeah, you know, when this new pharaoh rose that did not know Joseph, uh, that seems to indicate a change of dynasties and probably that they were conquered. And the Egyptians had this disconcerting tendency to kind of expunge their history, kind of like Orwell would do when whenever they got taken over. And the new guys would get rid of all the references to the old guys, and pretty much that was that. 
So in any case, uh, with that in mind, it says here, the burden against Egypt. Behold, Yahuwah rides on a swift cloud and will come into Mitzrayim. The idols of Egypt, or Mitzrayim, will... Um, Totter, that's the word, at his presence, and the heart of Egypt will melt in its midst. So whatever happens here is going to be scary for him. I will set as, um, I will set Egyptian against Egyptian. Everyone will fight against his brother and everyone against his neighbor. Now this too is another one of those places where, uh, we see references in the Torah to, uh, the fact that, uh, I'm trying to think of where the specific reference is, but um, essentially the Rashiism on this, when it turns out that how could there be peace and the sword will not pass through the land, and yet your enemies will be scattered? And the answer is they will fight against each other. It's called friendly fire. So that's what's being discussed. Exactly. Everyone will fight against his brother, everyone mm-hmm. against his neighbor. City against city, kingdom against kingdom. The spirit of Egypt will fail in its midst. I will destroy their council, and they will consult the idols and the charmers, the mediums and the sorcerers, and the Egyptians I will give into the hand of a cruel master. And a fierce king will rule over them, says Yahuwah Zevuot. Now, let me, uh, Ray, we'll go again to you on this one. Um, but um, when I read this and I, I see, okay, the reference to Egypt, uh, let me just kind of summarize my comments uh, this way. It's not necessarily that we are talking about Egypt when the Bible says Egypt any more than we are Babylon when the word Babylon is used there. We're talking about perhaps, I'm not going to say we must be, but at least we've got to consider the spiritual descendants of those things. I like to say that, uh, you know, America may not be Babylon, but it sure as heck is the greater Babylon metro area. And certainly the same thing is true. <laughs> when I see Egypt here, I can see that uh, there might be references to what we're seeing now. Neighbor fighting against neighbor, brother against brother. It's a literal definition of civil war. Sing city against city, kingdom against kingdom. Uh, this again sounds a little bit like Matthew 24 and and uh, other places. So um, yeah, I can't help but quote Mark Twain again. The history may not repeat, the prophecy may not even repeat, but it rhymes. And it looks like what we're seeing here yes, could is. be, as MP likes to say it, maybe it's Gog Magog or something along those lines. But I tend to think uh, we need to at least um, not reject the possibility that it's closer to home. Okay. Um, Ray, why don't we go to you, unless you take it wherever you we like. you got about uh, three go. minutes. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think uh, uh, rather than, than uh, maybe uh, uh, leveling it against this country, although we certainly have our, uh, our, our part to play in this whole we thing, certainly do. I think that a, a lot of this, that this is, if you just look at the, the uh, happenings in the world news and all this, uh, I mean, this this sort of behavior is happening in in all of what I would call what we used to call Christendom in, in well, Europe. Uh, the 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 European nations used to be Christendom. They're no longer really Christendom anymore. Uh, there and that much of much of this sort of behavior and much of this kind of stuff. The all the uh, oh the uh, protests and the pro-Palestinian stuff and the this and that and, and all that, we see so much of this happening on a worldwide basis. So I think this isn't uh, necessarily pointed just at the United States, although I think certainly we uh, <laughs> we have our our, our, our part to uh, part to play in that and, and all that. It's interesting. Uh, one that one that comes back to me. Uh, uh, Again, a, a verse that it says, "Behold, Yehovah is riding on a swift cloud and comes to Egypt." And I'll I'll just call Egypt the world. 
I'll go back to, let's see, Matthew, where am I? 20, chapter 26 in the 60s, 64. So it says, and Yeshua said to him, you have said so, but I tell you now that you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand uh, uh, of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do you need? You know, and so on and so forth. So again, we're, we're seeing, we're seeing these words re-echoed right there and, and, and by Mashiach himself. Um, uh, uh, fascinating in verse three and the spirit of the Egyptians within them. The spirit of the Egyptians. Think about the Egyptians. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not leveling this against the people of Egypt per se, but, but the, uh, historical, the spirit of the Egyptians and what did they did? And they made these great big grand monuments and they worshiped all these, uh, different, uh, gods and, and this and that and, and just all the stuff that goes along with, with all of that, that, that it says that, that, that spirit will be emptied out and, and they're, <laughs> You know, they're, they're going to be grasping to, to figure this, this, uh, out. Absolutely. And you know what? Um, it was the point that Yeshua was, was making. Okay. He yes. wanted that guy to condemn him to death because it was his time. It just was. Amen. <laughs> well, and he was, he was prophesying that. The truth, but he knew that that was going to lead to a charge of blasphemy. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. That's <laughs> that was the that was the whole point. Okay, yeah. let me see here. We got about thirty seconds left here. Um, I'm not going to be able to get a much minute. done here. The burden of Egypt, verse one. The uh, the prophet continues his series of prophecies about how the various nations that surrounded and oppressed Israel would fail. I'm sorry, would fall foretelling in this and the following chapter the downfall of Egypt. The classical rabbinic Bible commentators, Rashi, Metsudas, David, Radak, take this prophecy of the coming downfall of Egypt to refer not to the end of days, although the end of days prophecies may be embedded in it, but rather to the disaster that struck Egypt at the hands of Sennacherib at the time of his campaign against Jerusalem. On his way to Judah, he heard that Tir Haka, the king of Cush, Ethiopia, was coming to make war against him and went down to fight against Cush and Egypt, conquering both of them. Ah, uh, here we go. Okay, well, I'm really going to keep the music here, so we're out of luck for today. We'll pick it up in chapter 19.